Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend asked if I would read from my work as something they might find comforting and familiar amidst the uncertainty and anxiety we're experiencing from multiple sources in 2020. As of this opening, I've read Perishables, the first book of my five-book vampire and urban fantasy series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, aka falstaffbooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash Perishables link. Now I'm reading from my short stories and other works, and occasionally I'll invite on a writer friend for special episodes called Public Domain Radio. Thanks for listening. Alrighty. Welcome to episode 96 of Social Distancing Radio. This is part 48 of Dracula, and so with this episode, Dracula officially has taken up half of this entire podcast. And I see that as a hallmark of greatness. I see that as an accomplishment, because this is, in fact, my favorite novel of all time. And I am so delighted that I've gotten to spend so much of the last year sharing it with you. I wonder if we'll finish in time for Halloween. Wouldn't that be so delightful if we finished like right at Halloween? Well, anyway, let me get into this. Let me have that sip of reading wine. Let me tell you, I need that for sure. A little ironic that reading Dracula is such thirsty work. Oh, yeah. Mm. Okay. <clears throat> well, let's get back into that, you know, filthy, malodorous church or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I do love this novel. Gosh, I love when he talks about the smell of the room. It's so great. It's so creepy. My editor is constantly on me to talk more about smells. And I can see why. She is 100% right. She's always right. That's the thing. <clears throat> My editor, Aaron Penn with Falstaff Books. She's always right. She's so, so good at her job. She is so phenomenal. Anyway, I need to share a little love about that. We made an accurate examination of the place. The professor saying as we began, the first thing is to see how many of the boxes are left. We must then examine every hole and corner and cranny and see if we cannot get some clue as to what has become of the rest. A glance was sufficient to show how many remained, for the great earth chests were bulky and there was no mistaking them. There were only twenty-nine left out of the fifty. Once I got a fright, for seeing Lord Godalming suddenly turn and look out of the vaulted door into the dark passage beyond, I looked too, and for an instant my heart stood still. Somewhere, looking out from the shadow, I seemed to see the high lights of the Count's evil face, the ridge of the nose, the red eyes, the red lips, the awful pallor. It was only for a moment, for, as Lord Godalming said, I thought I saw a face, but it was only the shadows, and resumed his inquiry. I turned my lamp in the direction, excuse me, in the direction, and I stepped into the passage. There was no sign of anyone. And as there were no corners, no doors, no aperture of any kind, but only the solid walls of the passage, there could be no hiding place even for him. I took it that fear had helped imagination and said nothing. A few minutes later, I saw Morris step suddenly back from a corner which he was examining. We all followed his movements with our eyes, 
for undoubtedly some nervousness was growing on us, and we saw a whole mass of phosphorescence which twinkled like stars. We all instinctively drew back. The whole place was becoming alive with rats. For a moment we two stood for a moment or two we stood appalled, all save Lord Godalming, who was seemingly prepared for such an emergency. Rushing over to the great iron-bound oaken door which Dr. Seward had described from the outside, and which I had seen myself, he turned the key in the lock, drew the huge bolts, and swung the door open. Then, taking his little silver whistle from his pocket, he blew a low, shrill call. It was answered from behind Dr. Seward's house by the yelping of dogs, and after about a minute three terriers came dashing around the corner of the house. Unconsciously we'd all moved towards the door, and as we moved I noticed that the dust had been much disturbed. The boxes which had been taken out had been brought this way. But even in the minute that it elapsed, the number of the rats had vastly increased. They seemed to swarm over the place all at once, till the lamplight shining on their moving dark bodies and glittering baleful eyes made the place look like a bank of earth set with fireflies. The dogs dashed on, but at the threshold suddenly stopped and snarled, and then, simultaneously lifting their noses, began to howl in most lugubrious fashion. The rats were multiplying in thousands, and we moved out. Lord Godalming lifted one of the dogs, and carrying him in, placed him on the floor. The instant his feet touched the ground, he seemed to recover his courage, and rushed at his natural enemies. They fled before him so fast that before he had shaken the life out of a score, the other dogs, who had by now been lifted in the same manner, had but small prey ere the whole mass had vanished. With their going, it seemed as if some evil presence had departed, for the dogs frisked about and barked merrily as they made sudden darts at their prostrate foes, and turned them over and over and tossed them in the air with vicious shakes. We all seemed to find our spirits rise. Whether it was the purifying of the deadly atmosphere by the opening of the chapel door, or the relief which we experienced by finding ourselves in the open, I know not. But most certainly the shadow of dread seemed to slip from us like a robe, and the occasion of our coming lost something of its grim significance, though we did not slacken a whit in our resolution. We closed the outer door and barred and locked it, and bringing the dogs with us, began our search of the house. We found nothing throughout except dust in extraordinary proportions, and all untouched save for my own footsteps when I had made my first visit. Never once did the dogs exhibit any symptom of uneasiness, and even when we returned to the chapel they frisked about as though they had been rabbit hunting in a summer wood. The morning was quickening in the east when we emerged from the front. Dr. Van Helsing had taken the key of the hall door from the bunch and locked the door in orthodox fashion, putting the key into his pocket when he had done. So far, he said, our night has been eminently successful. No harm has come to us, such as I feared might be, and yet we have ascertained how many boxes are missing. More than all I do rejoice at this. Our first, and perhaps our most difficult and dangerous, step has been accomplished without the bringing therein to our most sweet Madame Mina, or troubling her waking or sleeping thoughts with sights and sounds and smells of horror which she might never forget. One lesson, too, we have learned— if it be allowable to argue a particular eye, that the brute beasts which are to the Count's command are, yet themselves, not amenable to his spiritual power. For look, these rats that would come to his call just as from his castle atop just as from his castle top he summoned the wolves to your going, and to that poor mother's cry, though they come to him, they run pell mell from the so little dogs of my friend Arthur. We have other matters before us, other dangers, other fears, and that monster 
He has not used his power over the brute world for the only or the last time tonight. So be it that he has gone elsewhere. Good. It has given us opportunity to cry check in some ways in this chess game, which we play for the stake of human souls. And opportunity to cry check. Oh, sorry. Whoops. And now let us go home. The dawn is close at hand, and we have reason to be content with our first night's work. It may be ordained that we have many nights and days to follow, if full of peril. But we must go on, and from no danger shall we shrink. The house was silent when we got back, save for some poor creature who was screaming away in one of the distant wards, and a low moaning sound from Renfield's room. The poor wretch was doubtless torturing himself after the manner of the insane, with needless thoughts of pain. I came tiptoe into our own room, and found Mina asleep, breathing so softly that I had to put my ear down to hear it. She looks paler than usual. I hope the meeting tonight has not upset her. I am truly thankful that she is to be left out of our future work, and even of our deliberations. It is too great a strain for a woman to bear. I did not think so at first, but I know better now. Therefore, I am glad that it is settled. There may be things which would frighten her to hear, and yet to conceal them from her might be worse than to tell her if once she suspected that there was any concealment. Henceforth, our work is to be a sealed book to her, till at least such time as we can tell her that all is finished, and the earth free from a monster of the netherworld. I dare say it will be difficult to begin to keep silence after such confidence as ours, but I must be resolute, and tomorrow I shall keep dark over tonight's doings, and shall refuse to speak of anything that has happened. I rest on the sofa so as not to disturb her. 1 October, later. And I suppose it was natural that we should have all overslept ourselves, for the day was a busy one and the night had no rest at all. Even Mina must have felt its exhaustion, for though I slept till the sun was high, I was awake before her and had to call two or three times before she awoke. Indeed, she was so sound asleep that for a few seconds she did not recognize me, but looked at me with a sort of blank terror, as one looks who has been waked out of a bad dream. She complained of a little of being tired, and I let her rest till later in the day. We now know of twenty-one boxes having been removed, and if it be that several were taken in any of these removals, we may be able to trace them all. Such will, of course, immensely simplify our labor, and the sooner the matter is attended to, the better. I shall look up Thomas Snelling today. I'm going to end there for this session and just say, these people have never watched a horror movie. Oh my God. Did they not just talk yesterday? Literally yesterday about the fact that Dracula can come and go as he wills and he can turn invisible and blah, blah, blah. And if he's able to summon creatures, well, then he must have been around. And then they're all like, yeah, Lucy, gosh, we can't get our minds off Lucy. That was really terrible. We sure do remember it. It's seared into our minds forever. We'll literally never be able to forget any detail of her demise. Oh, gosh. Mina's looking pale. Must have been a long day yesterday. Good thing ladies can't handle horror. It's, ah, that just, that is going to drive me bananas. Okay. I have to stop. Or I'm going to get on a soapbox and I'm not going to stop ever. Suffice to say, that's not my favorite part of the novel. (laughs) But we're into some of my favorite parts of the novel now. So, thanks for listening. 
Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. The theme music is Bucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons Attribution License at ccmixter.org.